Margin Call is the podcast that gives you behind-the-scenes access to the ups and downs of working in the Forex CFD industry. We interview the people that keep the show on the road, giving you insight into what makes the industry tick. The series is guest-hosted by myself, Jordan Michaelides, and produced by the team at Neural Media. To learn more, visit gomarkets.com slash podcast. That's G-O-M-A-R-K-E-T-S dot com slash podcast. Or take a look at the Go Market suite of products at gomarkets.com.au. Go Markets is a derivatives broker and Jordan Michaelides is the managing director of Neural Media. All opinions expressed by Jordan and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Go Markets, an AFSL license holder. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for financial decisions nor as an indication of future performance. Clients of Go Markets may hold positions in the derivatives mentioned. A financial services guide and product disclosure statement for our products are available at gomarkets.com. In this episode, we spoke with Craig Cobb. Craig, or as he's commonly known as Trader Cobb, is an educator, trader, speaker, managing director of TraderCobb.com and host of the Trader Cobb Crypto Show. He holds over 11 years of experience as both a trader and educator, with Craig always being the type to distill noise into digestible information for the rest of us. He's well known for his institutional background and he's helped many in the crypto space navigate this fascinating new world with a framework that can be applied to all asset classes. In this episode, we covered a lot, including chronic fatigue syndrome, how we got into trading, successes and failures, the state of crypto, and his trading principles as well. If you like this episode, do leave us a rating on your podcast app or share with your friends by taking a screenshot and posting on your Instagram story, tagging at GoMarkets in the process. Show notes and all previous guests are at gomarkets.com slash podcast. But with that being said, let's get into this episode with Craig Cobb. Craig, how are you? Mate, I am very well. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Thanks very much for having me. Now, you still surf life-saving? Oh, look, honestly, uh, not so much these days. And the reason being is that uh, I have had this of an issue called chronic fatigue syndrome. Are you kidding? Uh, yeah, I got bitten by I my eldest daughter camping two and a half years ago and uh, I got annihilated by mosquitoes. And I, I'm from Noosa Heads, Queensland. I've had a boat since I was six years old, so I don't feel mosquitoes. The funny thing is that the Ross River is in Queensland and I happened to get Ross River fever in Kayama, oh, no. which then molded into uh, chronic fatigue syndrome. So unfortunately, my massively physical days, which I used to be very physical, have uh, had to take a little bit of a back seat to uh, maintain the ability to keep my brain and body functioning. It's a, it's a horrible thing. And if anyone has any questions about it, they are more than welcome to contact me privately because I've spent a lot of money and learned a lot about it. What have you learned about it? Mate, look, honestly, like, you know, when I, when I speak to people about chronic fatigue syndrome, my whole thing is really that it's been the single worst thing in my life and the single best thing in my life. It, mm. as a single worst, means that I was boxing, I was personal, I, I had a personal trainer, I was training six days a week, I was spearfishing, I was surfing, I was paddling board, I was a surf club competitive lifesaver, I, I, was, I was fit, like, you know, I was a fit young man, you know, 
Um, so it took that away from me, which caused a whole bunch of psychological issues uh, and mental issues, uh, which uh, there was a, a six-month period where I needed to learn a lot about myself. And because I embraced the fact that, look, you need to be off where you can just learn. I took the learning path and I've spent, like I say, a lot of money, but it's not about the money. It's about getting yourself back. It's taught me a great deal about uh, how fragile we are, uh, about mm. what really matters in life and um, about how to really optimize what you have. Mm. Yeah, I, I've had um, for about six years now, I've had um, irritable bowel syndrome, which morphed into a whole bunch of things. But like yourself, um, it's it's funny that those sort of chronic issues they always teach you more about yourself mentally than physically. I find. Well, you've got you got know choices, I mean? don't you? you? You can either become an alcoholic, a drug addict, or do do other dumb things, or you can look at it and go, you know what? If I don't accept who I am today, then I'll never be who I want to be tomorrow. Mm. It's so true. It's so so true. It's 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 fascinating that you mentioned that because, like I said, I've I've had to deal with. I wouldn't say Ross River fever. I've had a friend who's had that. That is not something that you would wish even on it's your own flu, worst mate. enemy. It's just a bad flu. I look. Yeah. I, I'd have Ross River fever ten times over chronic fatigue syndrome. Let me tell you that much right now. <laughs> really? I mean, I've had the I've had the flu once in the last ten years. I remember having it. In Eastern Europe, uh, I was traveling and I, I just, for whatever reason, it was the only shot that I didn't get or maybe there was a new variant of the flu when I was overseas because I've been over for about six months by then. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's those sorts of things, those fever-related things, I wouldn't wish on anyone. I know chronic fatigue is particularly nasty and for a lot of people, they don't even know that they have it. Right, yeah, well, they, they, you can have it for you. diagnosed. Okay, so the way you get credit, I, I'm in Bondi Beach in in, in Sydney, and um, you, know, you know, it's the eastern suburbs of Sydney. We've got the best doctor. <laughs> We've got a lot of good stuff here, right? So for me, yeah. it was I, I was a pickleshin. I was getting tested for everything you could imagine under the sun. They probably took half of my body in blood for all the tests that I bloody had, <laughs> which is a good thing too because you rebuild that blood. But uh, yeah. you've got to have six months of testing and uh, and results back, and they call it unexplained chronic fatigue syndrome. Then you go onto a waiting list, and fortunately enough for me, there is the chronic fatigue uh, syndrome clinic, which is basically a study group uh, with a professor, professor I can't remember his name, uh, Mr. Arrogant, but also very smart. Um, and you know what? I waited eight, eight months to get there. Okay. Now, during that period, I was there for four months going through it. And I, I, I'm a reader. I, I like to read. I like to research. Um, you know, I just, I, if someone says there's something going on, I'm not going to sit back and wait for a reason. I, I'm going to go after it and I'm going to attack it. And I'm like, look, if I've got this, whatever it is, I'm gonna I'm gonna fight this MF. I'm, I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna I've got you by the jugular, you bastard. I'm, you're not gonna change me. Um, so after about four months, and it's an eight month program. Uh, I, I gave my position away because I was making such great progress. But look, regardless of what you've got, it doesn't really matter. Regardless of your circumstances, whether it be um, you know uh, a disease or, or or a virus or an illness or the way you've been brought up or the trials and tribulations that have happened through your life. Just remember, you're not by yourself. You've got one mm. choice, and that choice is yours. You can be a victim or you can be a survivor. You can push on through, and you've got to put that big smiling face on, you know. Like I've got two young kids. 
there ain't nothing that's going to stop me from making them smile, and that is my motivator in life. That's it. It's very, very simple. It's a good, it's a good mentality to have. I, I um, I, you were mentioning before about where you grew up around, around Noosa. I think I think you mentioned, and I was curious as to what did you think you were going to be when you were a kid? Like, what what job did you think you were going to have? Yeah, bloody good question, mate. Um, yeah, I'm from Noosa Heads. Um, I had my first business at six years old, literally six. Uh, three weeks into grade one. Uh, I was yeah. – uh, my, my father's a builder, right? So I, I had access to tools and uh, I knew how to use yeah. them. Uh, we used to get these 30-centimetre timber rulers. They were about two and a half centimetres thick, like like wide, and 30 centimetres long. Now, what I used to do is I'd chop these rulers in half and I'd get my dad's belt sander, stick it in the vice, tighten the vice up, put it on switch on, and you press a little button on the side, and I'd shape these surfboards. So I lived in Sunshine Beach. Now, Sunshine Beach is a breeding ground for surfers, Noosa, I mean, Julian Wilson, who's the top 10 surfer, he was in the world title race last year with Gabriel Medina. Um, he was a Grom uh, at first point. He lived in Coolum. We, we were friends with all the family. So for, f- just to give a snapshot of my upbringing, it was all about surfing and fishing for me. So when it comes mm. down to it, I was always about the ocean, always about the sea. Now, I always thought that I would go and you – know, I was friends with Steve Irwin as well before the TV shows came out. So I always thought at the very young years that I would go and do an apprenticeship with Steve. I would be you know, working on Steve Irwin's crocodile farm and all this sort of stuff. Then the surfboard thing came around. Then I started doing, selling chocolate-coated snakes in the school, and then I thought I would take over my father's company, which is a very successful custom-building company in Noosa. If you don't know Noosa, it's a, it's basically for Australians. It's like the um, – it's a very wealthy place. It's you – know, People yeah. that make money, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth, all over the country, they, they flock there and they, they spend their five, six million bucks on a house where they spend six weeks of the year. So I was going to take out the family <laughs> business. I was brought to the side by my next-door neighbour who's also an entrepreneur and said, Craig, you've uh, – and, and my dad's business partner and his development company. He said, look, mate, you've uh, you've got a little bit more to give. If you don't want to be a builder, then, uh, you know, let me nurture you. So he was the, the father of my absolute best friend and still is my best friend, Jared Coker. And he would <laughs> – I'd go over to their house and he'd say to me, no, no, you, you, you can't go up and see Jared until you sit down with me. So I'd sit in his office and I would go through all these scenarios in business and he would teach me and coach me and it really molded me. He took me to my first ever motivational or, you know, like those sort of speech type things where you've got experts talking about stuff. And it was Zig Ziglar. It was Jim Rohn and a few others, really? uh, Robert Kiyosaki as well as he was coming up through the ranks. So I've been very lucky to have been nurtured by really intelligent, smart entrepreneurs and business people. And the same thing comes from my father building the ha- the homes for these wonderfully wealthy and intelligent entrepreneurs and you know, leaders that um, my dad would go, look, I think you'd like my son. And I would always spend time with these people and they would mentor me. And I didn't know what that meant back then. I was like, for, for fucking, come on, I just, I just want to go for a surf. But now I look back <laughs> at that and go, man, some of the lessons that these people taught me, I owe my dad a lot. So where did trading come into it? Like paint that picture. You you were around these people that were talking about motivational mm. things. How did trading, you know, like paint me the picture between there and being, you know, working at London, setting up a private wealth trading desk or working for trade with precision. Where did that come about? Yeah, look, for me, um, after speaking, I mean, it was about 16 was my very first investment into the stock exchange. Um, In school, you have, or where I was from, you have a um, 
I don't know, a study period where it's about the ASX. The ASX has done wonderfully well in educating people in schools. They've got a school program about stock picking and learning about stocks, which is absolutely brilliant from their point of view. I had always yeah. an interest in that because from, from my point of view, I was always interested in, okay, I, I, was, I was fairly good at making money. So I, I had my chocolate-coated snake business, which I wanted to do that because I, I wanted to buy a Black Pearl Forum, which is a drum kit, and I was eight years old. Mum and Dad said, look, they were wealthy, but all my other friends were wealthy <laughs> parents as well, but their parents would buy them whatever they wanted. My parents said, no, if you want that, you buy it. And I'm like, well, I'm freaking eight years old, sorry, seven years old. <laughs> I can't get a job. So Mum said, oh, you start a business, henceforth, chocolate-coated snakes. I put my drum kit. And for me, leading on from that, I realized that I can make money. But what do you do with the money that you make? And all of the people that influenced me through dad's business in teaching me strategies and, and, and thoughts, they always had a staff of 600 people or more. I thought to myself, God damn it, that sounds like a lot of work. What can I do where I don't need, where I can make $100 million or $20 million or 10 or whatever the number that you want to come up with is, but how, do I, how can I do that without having all these people? And trading and investing were the answers for me. It required me to be very, very good. It required me to hold the weight of the world on my shoulders, live or die by my own decisions. But I was comfortable with that. That's what brought me into trading. Yeah, that that is super fascinating. And when I was reading some of these notes, you you'd done an interview that I found on Medium, and um, also just trawling through LinkedIn as well. Super handy when when you do your research. But um, this setting up of this private wealth trading desk for the Irish family, how did that come about? Like, how how do you get that sort of contact? That that wasn't something that came from Noosa, right? No, no. That was uh, I was twenty three years old. I was in London. Uh, I I had a little business in Noosa. I did a shop fit out for one of my best friends. Um, his his brand is Age, A-J-E. He's opening up Sydney Fashion Week. He's one of the biggest or probably the biggest, him and his partner, um, fashion label in Australia. He's done phenomenally well. Very good friend. I'm very, very proud of him. But I, I did his first store. Now, they came to me and said, oh, Cobby, could you do the store? Now, it was a smart play from their behalf because my father's the best builder in, in Noosa. They knew if they asked me to do it, that if I was to fail, Dad would swoop in and save the day. And he also, they also knew that I would have access to the best labor in town. So I did that. I made 20 something thousand dollars. At that point, I was 20, I think I was 20, 21. And um, mm-hmm. I was like, well, I was, I was looking at moving to Bondi, which is where I am now. And I just went, look at this. Let's go. I'm out. I want to travel the world. Grab my best mate who was, as I said before, my uh, next-door neighbor, who is my dad's development business partner and one of my mentors, and we took off around the world and did a worldwide trip. Now, I got to London, and uh, we met a beautiful Swedish girl and a equally beautiful French girl, and they lived in Piccadilly Circus. Now, for those that don't know what Piccadilly Circus is, it's basically the Times Square or Broadway of New York, right? It's very expensive. Like, it's ridiculous. Um, and we were basically their, their, their Australian, you know, young surfer guy handbags. We went to all the events, but they didn't pay for us. So the money ran out very, very quickly. So I went and got a job. I got a job um, after sitting uh, in the tube station and seeing uh, an advert that said, 
earn tax-free income for trading. I'm like, okay, I'm an investor. I trade. I went and uh, spoke to them. I went to one of their seminars and I sort of said, look, you know, you can't sell me anything, but I tell you what, I can, I can sell your stuff. Uh, I wanted to get next to their traders. Uh, so I got a job. I worked for them. And the, my, my day started, according to my hours, at 9 and it finished at 5. But I was in there at 5.30 in the morning sitting out the front in freezing cold London waiting for the first trader to arrive. And I was there when the last trade left. I opened the door and I left the door. Sorry, and I I shut the door at the end of the day. I learned as much as I could from those traders. Now, because I was in that environment, I started teaching their courses and started to, you know, meet people. Uh, It was very apparent that I was the best trader there. And um, I had a family approach me and say, look, you know, would you be interested in doing X, Y, Z? Can you put a team together? And, and I did, and, and that was really – I had a goal for – I had a three-year goal that I achieved in 18 months, and uh, the reason mm-hmm. that I wear the watch that I wear today is because I achieved that goal so quickly. Wow. Yeah, that would have been super fascinating, like to have, an, to have someone approach you like that and just be given that freedom as well to go about it would have been super interesting. At least yeah, but it wasn't, it wasn't a happy ending, mate. Well. Like, I want to make one thing very clear. Yes, it's a wonderful story, and it remains a wonderful story, but it ended in absolute failure. It, like, I've got no qualms about you know speaking to my failures. Yes, I've had success, but I've also had massive failures. Um, the, the people that I put on board, um, one of them backstabbed me and kicked me out of my own company after 12 months. Um, mm. I learned a lot from well. that. And at, as a twenty, at the time, a twenty-four-year-old, at, at, at that moment in time, it's one of the most valuable lessons that I've ever had. And I'm so thankful, not because of what did it to me. I there's no one that I dislike in the world as intently as the person that did this to me. <laughs> um, you know, jealousy is a very powerful emotion, and unfortunately, jealousy got the better of this individual, and um, he, he he became someone that was fairly toxic. But it taught me so much, Jordan. Like, I'll say this right now: as a trader and someone who's been in markets for a long time, you you don't learn from your successes; you learn from your failures. And whether it was you know my doing to have me leave the company or someone else's, it was still my doing because I was the one that was running that. I employed the wrong person. If you're a business owner, no matter what happens, it's always on you taught me a great deal i'm so thankful for it yeah it, it sounds like a very interesting lesson something that no doubt you would have carried into what you're doing today as trader Coburn, this this education business that you've now built which i think that having been a guest on your own podcast and listening yeah. to, to your interviews the education commentary particularly over the last year uh you've you've definitely built this consistent uh, no bullshit approach to commentary, which I think a lot of people like and enjoy. Um, I was actually chatting to a mate beforehand about doing this interview and he's quite excited to hear it. Um, just, I think, you, you know, yourself, guys like yourself and Alex are, are definitely fan favorites out there when we talk about market commentary and particularly as we get into crypto. And I, I guess I'm just curious now that you're sort of in the education side of the business, which you have background in as well. Hmm. Um, how do you explain to people what you do for work when someone sits down next to you on the <laughs> on the plane? Yeah, look, that's a that's a really great question. I mean, my um my father's just retired in the last year and a half, and uh, 
I mean, he's, he's literally out there fishing right now for noose, the lucky bugger. Um, mm-hmm. But he, he, he doesn't. He's still there. Honestly, when I was in London and I was making, you know, I, I had a very good run in London. I was, uh, I had no kids. I was, you know, with my partner who I still have today and I now have two kids. Before 10 o'clock in the morning, I was making in excess of two to 3,000 pounds. I was just milking the market. It was just so easy. It was just so enjoyable. It was great. But he thought, mom, my mom actually sent me the book, The Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, and said, Look, I don't know what you do, but is it like this? I'm like, mom, I'm not a goddamn drug addict. Like, seriously, I'm just, I've, I've got a skill in, a, in something that's like playing video games, but with money, and I'm good at it. Um, and I actually spent time with Jordan Belfort, who I will go on the record as saying is the biggest piece of uh, excrement that you will ever meet in your entire lives. All right. So, that's, I just want to leave it at that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, like it, it, the whole point of, I guess, the education side of it and what we do and the interviews and all that sort of stuff and the no BS approach that I have is that because of my failures, because of what I've done and because of like literally, you know, since I left school, this has been me. I've been in markets my whole life, all right? I don't need to say things to impress people. You know, I, I, I've got no desire to be anybody other than myself because, you know what, everybody else is taken up. And I was really nervous. When I went to New York, uh, this all nearly this time last year for Consensus, I had a, a film crew with me. I went to, uh, what was it, the uh, Ethereal Summit, uh, which is the first okay. event I went to, which is, a, which is a great summit, by the way. It's, it's much better than the actual Consensus event. And I was in the press area. And I'm, you know, on the stools with the backdrop behind me and cameras everywhere and people walking by and lights and everything. Now, I'd never sat down and interviewed someone face-to-face. Now, I had uh, – no, it wasn't Kavita Gutter. It was um, Sheila Warren. And she's like World Economic Forum leader. And I was sitting there going, here's a guy out of Noosa who worked as a labourer on his father's building sites and has become a trader and I don't claim to be the most intelligent person in the world because I'm not. I just know that I'm good at what I'm good at, right? So I'm sitting here with Sheila Warren of the World Economic Forum. I've got 13 minutes on a countdown board, and on the stage is Joe Lubin and and somebody else. And there's a press conference following my events. I've got people everywhere. I'm like, oh, my. I get mic'd up. I'm like, how do I do this? I'm like, bang, they go rolling, and I just had to start talking. That was one of the scariest moments of my life, um, but one of the most enjoyable moments. And again, it comes back to the whole, I guess you've just got to do it, you know, and until you throw yourself out there and actually have a go, you really have got no idea of what you can actually achieve. And from there, I mean, I interviewed 36 people across New York for the next 10 days and I absolutely loved it. It was the best fun ever. So I'm not sure if that actually answered your comment. I think I went off on a bit of a tangent there. I'm sorry, but um, yeah. I, th- I think so. I think um, as well, just to touch on another thing, you, you've you mentioned in prior interviews that you, when you were getting into the crypto space, you were sort of wanting to find a voice that hadn't come down in the, mm. last, the last shower and, and wasn't necessarily a novice in trading. But all it had me thinking about was like, how did you find out about crypto? Like, for example, today when Alex and I recorded our interview, we we're talking about how we both found crypto through Zero Hedge, essentially, sort of that disenfranchised viewpoint of the world, post-GFC, um, classic millennial Gen X view of the world. Uh, so I guess I'm curious as to how you found out about crypto. 
Yeah, look, I found about it in 2013. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't do anything with it. I was in London and I was trading and someone said, oh, what do you think about Bitcoin? I'm like, what? And they talked to me about it and they, you know, they, they did the whole pitch of Bitcoin and I'm like, well, I actually looked, I actually looked into it. And I was like, well, there's no volume. There's no charts. There's, you know, you got to work to your strengths in life, right? I didn't, I wasn't a tech entrepreneur at that time. I wasn't looking to invest in, in technology advancements. I was just a mere trader trying to make as much money as they could given the skill set that I had and continually trying to improve that. So I didn't, you know, I kicked Bitcoin to the curb. And I have mm. people today still saying, oh, you know, when they, when they know my story, they're like, oh, don't you regret not buying Bitcoin? I'm like, no, not at all. Because if I had bought Bitcoin, I would have broken my own trading rules. And if I had broken my own trading rules, sure, I might have a few Bitcoin, but I wouldn't have what I have today. So yeah. Really what re-engaged me uh, with Bitcoin was um, – I got a mentor here in Australia who contacted me, someone I, who I've known since I was basically an egg, right? Uh, he's, he called me and goes, Kobe, mate, you've got to uh, you got to look into this Bitcoin thing, this cryptocurrency. I'm like, all oh, right, well, you, you mind? Like, what, what are you doing? He goes, look, just, just trust me. Look into what's going on. So I did because the right – Because I was look right, into it. Right time, <laughs> you know, and that was July 2017. Uh, okay. I looked at my – Jesus, there's charts. Wow, there's leverage. Whoa, there's markets. Jeez, I can do this. So I started investing in July 2013. And I, I, whenever I enter a new market, despite what the past performance has looked like physically on a chart that fits my strategies, I, I, I always I'm looking for what moves it. So what what external sources of information can move the market? So in, in foreign exchange, you've got non-farm payrolls, GDP, all these different things that move markets and stocks. You've got the you know the um, reporting season. There's a whole bunch of different things that move markets at certain times. So me being a trader, you're risk averse. So I'm like, what what is it in crypto? Well, it turns out there's nothing in crypto because crypto is the wild wild west. So mm. I dived in about end of August, early September. And started trading with leverage, and um, 2017 was an absolute blast. From there, I was looking around, going, "Who can I look to that's a respected source of information? Someone who's got a bit of credibility, someone who's been around." And I'm not saying that at the time there there were not people out there. You know, like I, I've spent plenty of time in Sydney here with Tone Vays. Now I don't agree with everything Tone says, but I know he knows markets. I know he doesn't trade him. Mm. I know he knows markets, and I couldn't find anyone. So I thought. I had no desire at all to uh, to start the podcast, to start the business. But what frustrated me was having been in trading for a long time, having been in education for a while as well. It's like if people are going to spend this much money on stuff that's absolute rubbish, then I owe it to them to give them something of value. And, and that's where we started. And it seems like you wanted to scratch your own itch more than anything. You were looking for that voice similar to what you'd seen in uh, previous financial markets, whether it was FX, stocks, whatever it may be, and uh, and there wasn't anyone there, which is true. You know, like 2017, even now still, two years later, the crypto markets are still pretty wild. But back then, it was, you know, it wasn't until late that year, that sort of November, December period where it really started to become mainstream, I'd say. Yeah, well, my, my, my first public... Uh, call was we were heading towards 5,000 and uh, I, I had about, I don't know, 1,000 people on Twitter that followed me for my foreign exchange trading and all that sort of stuff that I sort of did on the side. I didn't do anything for a long time. Uh, yeah. And as it moved towards 5,000, I said, oh, look, 3,000 is a buy point. 
I had people coming out telling me all sorts. I've got no idea. I'm an idiot. I'm from the old school. Nothing changed. I got hit from all angles. Sure enough, it fell from just shy of 5000 to $2,986, and it bounced and didn't look back. So I nailed my entry perfectly. And I actually had people on Twitter coming out and going, look, I was the one who was being an I'm sorry, you clearly know what you're doing. Because a chart's a chart to me. I don't care if we're talking about pork belly. I don't care if we're talking about, you know, 10-year notes, foreign exchange, the Dow Jones. A chart is a chart. It doesn't matter to me. It really doesn't matter. And that's what the pull for me to crypto has been about is that I look at these charts and, you know, for me as a father, uh, even before the business was set up, because obviously now I'm I'm a father of a business, um, which takes a lot of time, I'm actually more interested in the business side, Jordan, than I am on the mm. trading side because I've been trading for a very long time. I know how to make money in markets. I didn't need crypto to be successful. Crypto has just fit my uh, mentality of less is more. I want to take less trades and look for more profits and be more selective um, because I take screenshots of my trades. Then I've got to go through my accountant and I've got, there's a whole, like, I run it as a business and that's what's different about the way that I teach my courses. I'm not just teaching you a trading strategy. I'm teaching you uh, psychology. I'm teaching you reporting. I'm teaching you mindset. There's a whole plethora. I'm not just saying, oh, here you go, go and buy this. I'm teaching you a written checklist with literal written rules that you tick off. But not only that, how to manage a trading business. And that's what I think separates us and why we've been so wildly successful is that I will teach you how to run a business working to the markets. And I'll give you the strategy for that. Now, the strategy is not just in how to buy and sell. It's how to approach a market how to learn from your mistakes in the market, what mistakes look like in a market, taking screenshots in a market, doing your accounting in a market. It's, it literally is a business in a box, but I can't make you do that. And that's the big deal is that not many people actually, they, they want to punt. There's not that many people that really want to commit to being successful in this market, but you can do if you want to be successful. It's just there for you right now. Yeah. Now, we, we've spoken about crypto in the past on the show. Very very briefly, obviously, we just recorded um, Alex's episode as part of season two, and, and that will touch on that as well. Uh, we've spoken about the differences between centralization and the speed that that offers and decentralization and the monetary benefits that that offers, as well as censorship resistance, of course. Mm-hmm. I was saying to Alex in the previous episode that right now, I think daily Bitcoin volume is around 10 to $20 billion, depending on the day. But the current range we've been in over the last week or so has been around that. We've got large institutions that are entering the market. We've passed sort of multiple phases of speculation like stable coins. Uh, there's, of course, altcoins over the last 18 months. But I think we're into a new period with stable coins and, of course, security token offerings. How do you see the current state of crypto, both globally and locally yeah look it's it's a good question and it's one that uh, i just don't care in all honesty <laughs> um you know like uh, without without sounding rude or you know disingenuous my view is charts jordan i, I read charts i mean mm. <laughs> I, i'm not your fundamental analysis guy i'm the guy mm. who reads a chart and makes a decision now i last week i had a trade on xrp usd and eth USD. 
XRP, I split the risk of both across both of them because they're both sitting at very similarly. XRP USD stopped out. Uh, ETH against the dollar moved really well, made profit there. Two trades one week, right? Effectively the same mm-hmm. trade across two pairs. This week had one trade, Zen, Z-E-N-B-T-C, four-hour pullback on the cradle zone, up 8%. Like I don't I don't even know what Zen do. I, I couldn't care less. I don't know what they do. I don't know what the views are. I don't know what the plan is. I don't know what they're trying to achieve. I could not care less. I just don't give a rat's about what the project does or what people think of it. I read a chart. And for those that are sitting there listening right now and going, look, I don't want to get into all that detail. I don't really know what's going on. Beautiful thing is, ladies and gentlemen, you can learn to read price action because it's human psychology mapped on a chart. I can teach you how to do that. I am not I'm not stupid, I'll say that, but I'm not a PhD. I've got no university degree. In Queensland, you get an OP score. In, the, in New South Wales, you get a, what's it called, a um, – What's it called, a SAT or something like that? What's the, what's the thing you get? Yeah, near? I think it's all um, ATAR now, though. It's all like yeah. nationally ATAR. So all, all, all of my all of my uh, cousins, three of them in a the family, they're all investment bankers. One runs an eight point no, so twelve point five billion pound fund in M and A in the UK. They're all genius little guys. You know, they're, they're smart as anything. They got the high. They got TT score. That's what it was. Ninety nine on the TT score. Then there's little old me. I don't do that. I'm not that academic-minded person. I'm a practical, logical-thinking human being. Now, if you are a practical-thinking, logical human being, then you can learn how to read patterns. And patterns, ladies and gentlemen, is what makes the earth. Fibonacci is what every shell is created about. Every flower is made from Fibonacci. Fibonacci comes into trading as well. You don't need to be the smartest person in the world to be successful in markets, and I am goddamn proof of that. You know, during our interview, all I was, uh, this is for, for CoinJar when you were interviewing me, all I was wanting to ask you was, what are your general principles or approach to trading? And, and so now I've got the opportunity, what is it? What is your general first principles for trading in a nutshell? What's the thing that you would say to people that would be intrigued about looking at TraderCop? Yeah, look, uh, tradercob.com is about risk management. I mean, and, and look, it's not just about tradercob.com. It's about it's about trading in general. If if I can t- if I can say one statement that trading is, in my view, trading is risk management. Now, let me give you an example of that. If you are a real estate agent and you sell property, right? You make money when you transact a property, and then that comes back to you when you make your money. Now, if you have no property, you have no business. As a trader, if you have no capital, you have no business. So therefore, your first rule needs to be understanding and an intrinsic understanding, a depth of understanding about risk management. Aside from that, I say to people, I'm going to make an emphasis on this because a lot of people, I know this because when I was starting out, I read a lot about psychology and all this sort of stuff, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, your magic potion, rubbish, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the God honest truth is this, trading, in my eyes, it's holding up a mirror into who you are, directed back at you. So what your strengths are, it will show you. But with trading, it's not about your strengths. You've got to realize what your weaknesses are, your compulsive disorders are. If you have got a gambling streak in you, you need to either deal with it or don't trade. There are so many things within trading that 
they teach you so much about yourself. If you're somebody who has always got to be right, like my mother, then trading is not for you, okay? It will literally give you every lesson, not just in the markets, but in life that you need. It's up to you to be unwilling or willing to listen to those lessons and then seek guidance to let those lessons become something that can help you to move forward. I can tell you that right now. I used to be very boisterous. I, I, I'm a talker, right? That's, that's why I got the podcast and, you know, I'm good at communicating. Um, I used to have a bit of an ego because I, I, I did very well at a young age. But nowadays I, I've, I've got family. I'm, you know, I'm 35 years old. I've, I've, I've grown up. I will still stand by the fact that trading will teach you everything you know so everything you need to know about yourself, it's up to you whether or not you listen. So just be careful that if you do decide to get into trading, it's going to expose you. And that is a very, very good thing. And that in and of itself is a way that, you know, when you say risk management, managing that or managing yourself is sort of what it sounds like in, in terms of first principles as well. Yeah, if you can't manage um, yourself, you can't manage your risk. Yeah. I'm realizing we're about to crack over <laughs> 35 minutes, but I want to ask you some um, some short, fast questions to finish us off uh, that we ask all of our guests. So first one, uh, what does your morning routine look like? My morning routine is get up uh, with the chronic fatigue syndrome, depending on how I feel in the morning. I get up and I go for a walk on the coastal walk at Bondi between Bondi and Bronte, uh, have some fun with the kids, to build some Lego, send them to school, walk to my office and start my scan. I do a podcast about 10 to 9. I do my scan with members, my live trading floor at 9 o'clock, and then I'm in. Bang. And at night, how do you decompress? Oh, how do I decompress at night? Uh, I got a number of ways. For me, the biggest my, my meditation because I can't spearfish as much as I used to is to uh, either go fishing or lay in my hammock on the balcony looking out over the ocean. Beautiful. I can imagine as well around that area, the view would be amazing. The view is very, very good. I've just got to make sure that my hammock is. Uh, I've got to put it through the wash and then dryer because if you use your hammock for too long, it sinks too low, and then I can't see over the top of my balcony like the balcony, <laughs> so I can't see the ocean. <laughs> Um, All right, best purchase under $200, and this could be anything in your lifetime. Oh, best purchase under $200. It would have to be a uh, a torch, uh, a diving torch, because it's under $200, Uh and that diving torch come winter, which we're about to come into, allows me to get literally thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of crayfish. Wow. Have you ever have you had any like sharky experiences when you've been uh, spearfishing? Yeah, loads. I go up and dive usually. Well, it's been a couple of years since I've done it, but I usually got once a year for a seven day trip on the Coral Sea and the Great Barrier Reef. And um, of course, yeah. I, I mean, I've had I've had many many run ins with big sharks. It's they're just part mm. of the environment. Yeah, it just it reminds me of going. Um, I used to go boogie boarding. <laughs> no, <laughs> bodyboarding. For boogie boarding, bodyboarding, whatever you want to call it, down in. Uh, with an apprentice at my dad's work down at Point Leo, which is uh, around here in Victoria. Victoria in general is very great white sharky. I know. I know. You get that cloudy water, lots of seaweed. Yep. Um, it's the perfect environment. And we've had, we've had some in- interesting experiences, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
If you had to give a book to the audience uh, for Christmas, what would it be and why? Trading in the Zone by Mark Douglas because I'm a trader and I read a lot of books uh, and it's not to do with trading. It's to do with your head. Um, that and the new market wizards. Uh, it's a book uh, interviewing some of the best traders of the most recent generation. There's old market wizards, which is great, but new market wizards, Linda Bradford Rashke, her story in there was a self-made woman who's made a, a staggering amount of money in the markets, but she connected with me in a big way, or sorry, I connected with her in a big way, I should say, because her story is like everybody's story, is that she came out on top. I like that. It's a good book. I've read it. Brilliant book. Um, Craig, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you? Jordan, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Look, you can find me in a couple of places. The first thing is go to tradercob.com. If you want to learn about how I trade, what I trade, why I trade, then go to tradercob.com forward slash free tools. I've got free courses. I've got free webinars. I've got a, you know, I, most of the content that I do is free. Okay. Uh, follow me on Twitter at TraderCobb. Facebook's the same, TraderCobb. Instagram, all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, just get involved, man. Like, just enjoy what we do. If, if you want to buy my courses, fine. If you don't, I don't mind either. But uh, I'm definitely a resource of, of it. You know, 13 years in the markets, I'm just trying to help people to accelerate their learning curve. And I'd say to the audience as well, uh, if they can do one thing, following you on Twitter, I quite enjoy your commentary on Twitter. And of course, uh, as a regular update for the podcast. But um, thanks so much for coming on. Jordan, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. Jordan's a good man. You keep listening to this bloke. <laughs> okay. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to Margin Call. Before you run off, make sure you subscribe on your podcast app to get first access to new episodes. And consider sharing this with a friend who loves the Forex CFD game. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube by searching Go Markets. That's G O M A R K E T S. Until next time, thanks for listening.